competitive 40k network presents art of war art of war strategy and tactics discussions with the best players on the planet on the planet with your host paul murphy and expert coach nick nanavati Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Art of War podcast. My name is Paul Murphy, your host. I'm joined by Nick Donavati. Hey, Paul. Always good to be back. It's awesome, man. We are like fresh off uh, a trip to Kansas City, Missouri, where we did a lot of commentary on some games this past weekend. Is that where we were? I'm glad you remembered. <laughs> People might hear it in our voice. That's why I want to mention that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, We're joined by Ben Jurek. Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. You actually just completely reg face, uh, you know, basically carrying October on your shoulders. Yeah, I brought the uh, October miracle this time around. <laughs> and SoCal, you know, a great event. You could not be stopped. We want to hear about it. Well, it's a, it was a, it was a very, I shouldn't say difficult event, but like it was, it was definitely a challenge to go six zero. And uh, the pairings guys definitely smiled upon me when I drew zero nids matchups. I mean, that's part of it. You got to get through a tournament and, you know, matches, matchups and other players and, you know, what mission you draw certain. You play the game in front of you. You know, that's just the game, whatever it might be. I'm sure you had a plan for Nids, which we'll definitely cover in part two as well. And there's definitely a plan, but however flimsy it may have been. <laughs> yeah. Ben, you've been a long time war remember. You know, it's it's kind of cool. We'll, we'll maybe talk about some of that over the course of the, uh, the show. But I want to remind folks, this is part one of a two-part episode. And in part one, we'll cover the army list. We'll talk about some stratagems. We'll talk about some secondaries and maybe, you know, how you, uh, you know, arm yourself for the games, depending on, you know, your path to victory or, or what, what's equipped in your list. Uh, but, you know, we're going to kick the show off with going through what the list is. I'm sure there's a lot of aspiring orc war bosses out there that would like to hear exactly what you threw in the list. All right, then. Well, I'll get right into it. Uh, you guys want me to start the HQs? Yeah, please. All right, so the I run a, a supreme command and a battalion, um, and first guy up in the battalion is my war boss on Warbike. Um, he's actually a new addition to what I've been running in the current Nephilim meta. I added him as he is essentially your like suicide cruise missile. Um, he brings a relic claw, uh, so he has the flat three damage claw. He also uh, packs the brutal but kind of warlord trait, which is the try again, similar to like competitive edge. Um, we have a segment we coined the brutal and cunning. I think this guy was made for that segment. <laughs> yeah, he uh, during the wall he he runs in, brings six attacks. You know, obviously it's try again. He moves twenty inches uh, with his auto advance, um, and he caught more opponents by surprise than anybody. I honestly, I'd give him the MVP sticker. Uh, so I'm really glad that we're talking about him first. <laughs> nice. Yeah, tell us what the just run down what what else is in the list. Um, we're also looking at the uh, we got a weird boy. We have. Uh, He's, he's just there for doing two spells to jump and fist the Gork. Uh, we're looking at a couple of a couple of troops. We've got two groups of Beast Naga boys that take a ride in some kill rigs. Uh, we got three groups of Gretchen, um, three group commandos, two groups of ten fully loaded with uh, a, a Breacher Ram and a, and a Claw, along with the, the Bomb Squeak, who's super important. Um, and then a little five-man group of commandos. A five-man group of Mega Noms that typically ride inside a battle wagon that's in the list, along with three by three squeak hog boys packing a bomb squeak each. Um, there's the battle wagon I mentioned before, two more kill rigs, 
One of them bringing Frazzle and Squiggly Curse, and another one bringing Spirit of Cork and Squiggly Curse. And then to top it all off, we bring the man himself, Gaz. You can't leave home with that kind of a couple of kill rigs in Gazgul. That's what works less for me to. It's a, I've, I think it's truly orky. Some people think hordes of orcs are orky, but... I think it's really fun, just the, the way orc lists are designed these days with Goff Rush pressuring the opponent. You are playing Goffs, right? Absolutely. So um, we see Goffs doing really well across the turn scene, but I know, Ben, you typically have played uh, a shootier style of orc builds, often featuring a Stompa. you played orcs for years and years, and you explored the codex a lot. Um, before we get mm-hmm. into your list and how it all works, uh, about that orc, orc journey, why don't you tell us about that and how you ended up here in the first place? Uh, so my orc journey begins all the way back in Index when I picked up orcs again for the first time since like 4th edition. And I was like, hey, there's faction scoring, there's ITC stuff, I'm going to be competitive and do it. So I, I've stuck by orcs and been a faction loyalist since the 8th edition Index. And I've gone through a lot of different iterations of lists. I've developed my own cool thing before because, you know, I, I brought freebooters to the table in 8th at one point. Um and then you know I ran a ran a stompo for a while at the at the beginning of ninth before we got our codex. I of course ran Speedwall when Speedwall was stupid, uh, and now I'm finally back to the uh, the core of works, which is the the fighty goffs list since the about the beginning of the year since LBO. Nice. So, is there a specific style you like, or do you just like being your your own self with your works? Um, I I do prefer the shooty style because that was like a thing that I kind of developed on my own. I didn't steal anybody else's list. I kind of innovated that. Uh, but um, the Goffs list, it's definitely, this list is a lot of fun to play. Uh, if it, it, you, won't, you aren't going to have a bad time playing this list whether you're winning or losing. Orcs always win. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> Love the Orky mentality. All right, so let's walk through how it kind of works and why you've made the choices you have. Kafra orcs on paper just seem to kind of run across the table and scream wag at your opponent, but I'm sure there's more nuance to that. And uh, as far as like with which units do you run across the table and scream wag with, that's a part I mean, of the list. All of them, just 100% of the units. All of them. Okay, Ben, why don't you break it down? How do what is your army? How does your army work? Uh, so the the nuance um, sometimes comes if you're going to choose to be like defensive, what type of army you're playing into. But it does break down about a good 75, 80 percent of the time into a like a three wave rush. Your first wave is usually uh, your commandos, which you have four deployed somewhere between nine to ten ish, maybe twelve inches back from your your opponent's deployment zone. Um, you can you obviously use them to zone out uh, uh, webway gates and other stuff too if you really want to. And then you also bring uh, your bike boss in. And then if they decide to deploy on their deployment zone edge, there's a bunch of other stuff they can actually get in, including like kill rigs and such. But those the first wave is usually comprises of like commandos. A few bomb squigs get thrown in from squig hugs that got in range. Um, and then those guys make the first assault, along with some shooting in psychic mortals to kind of soften everything up. Uh, the second wave, you you crash in with any living squig hugs, your kill rigs, gas, and sometimes you, you're making up, sometimes not. And then the third the third wave is like, once you pop the kill rigs, you have all the boys that get out. If gas is still alive, he's still there, and you finally trickle everything off with that last little wave. It's kind of like an endless sustained approach of charging orcs at your opponent. It sounds very orky. Yeah, you get you you hold your opponent to zero to four primary for three turns and call it good. So when you're playing this style of goth orc list list and you're just kind of rushing your opponent down, there's a lot of different variations of, of orcs you can take. And the kill the the commandos are like the first way, so let's kind of unpack that. You have twenty five ish commandos with a bunch of different yep. weapons. Why not just the full thirty? I had a full 30 earlier in Nephilim, and what I was finding is that the third group was a bit too redundant, and I needed points to fit in Gaz because I wasn't preventing Gaz earlier. So 
after I after I dropped that, I found the 20 to be more than uh, suffice. And those are very key in some matchups. I guess we'll talk about that in part two. But the the commandos, they each of each squad has enough basically horsepower to push through uh, most thing most data slates in the game, uh, especially if they decide to deploy in terrain and they get their plus one to wound from throat slitters. So it, they would reliably get me my turn one stomp them good for my secondary. They reliably pick up one to two units. And they always trade up. And when they have a five of invuln, they require quite a bit to take out on my opponent's end when they finally get to you know, swing back into them. Doesn't this five five invuln is not a bad profile for sure. Uh, so and I'm gonna go back to you. said mentioned that Gaz was not originally in the list. Did you run him and then take him out, or did you just, you just weren't using him for some reason? Like explain that journey. Uh, so at the beginning of Nephilim, um, with the new the biggest and the best um, secondary, I based a lot of my lists around the three orc secondaries where I don't need to interact with my opponent, and I could just keep them in their deployment zone and then score 90 points for free and 100 points if they died. Um, so you could sit in your own deployment zone with Green Tide, the biggest and the best, and uh, get the good bits and just score 90 points doing nothing. So it was built around that, and Gaz doesn't play the biggest and the best that well, so I didn't run Gaz. Interesting. So totally different approach, because this one's all about aggressively going towards your opponent, whereas that one was about sitting there passively with orcs. Yeah, the the with Demons and CSM, that list kind of definitely wasn't looking as hot as it was, especially at bricks of like 10 Terminators and Chosen, where if I brought like a war boss of Warbike and Gaz, they don't have any issue dealing with those uh, obstacles. Well, that's really interesting. So when, because some armies were so aggressive, they would disrupt your sit there and do nothing points factory. So you had to get too aggressive right back at them as a means of coping. Yeah, and I couldn't I couldn't really hold those armies in their deployment zones because I didn't have any killing power into them. The commandos, they don't kill uh, two-up save guys or three-up save guys that well, um, especially the armor contempt. So... I was running into that type of matchup. I was a little bit scared of how I would be into greater demons, so I wanted you know an, an equal greater demon to greater demon type of counter. And one of my harder matchups has been knights and chaos knights, uh, so I also short up that matchup. And that's all with Gaskell. Uh, Gaskell and the Warboss and Warbike both in tandem. Okay, so just like super hitty hard characters help you in these matchups with the durability issue. Yeah, went a little bit more, a bit more hero hammer. Okay, I like that. That's pretty cool. I gotta ask, though, why no Storm Boys or Zagstruck? I feel like those are staples in golf pressure lists because they're speed and they still hit really hard. Zagstruck especially, I've been on the receiving end of him. He's a... We saw a lot of those over the course this past weekend. Definitely. Uh, so I was, I was running Zagstruck for the majority of Nephilim once again. He got swapped out for the Warboss and Warbike. He, I ran into many matchups where Zagstruck falls flat into like minus one damage and a couple of other just like pieces where he's not giving me the performance I need. And at 110 points, I'd rather have that group of commandos. I'd rather have that group of squig hogs overall. And I kind of want to keep my characters at the five mark with the kill rigs and such because I can easily protect two of them and my opponents can get trapped in taking assassinate and only scoring like nine points on it. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. One thing that's interesting, though, is your bike boss and Gaz, they both don't really interact with ruin walls that well, or just terrain in general. They're fast, at least the bike bosses, but they you know have to deal with terrain by driving around it. A fly infantry character like Zagstruck can really fit into nooks and crannies along with Storm Boys. Did you not miss that element? I ran into one matchup where I really wish I had him to dive a character, but outside of that, um, I haven't had too many issues because I have all the other infantry that can kind of climb in and do whatever, do what I need to do into them. Uh, the job I needed Zegstruck to do, the boss on bike did better because um, he, you know, juiced up and such. I could have him go trade into a Questorus Knight. I could have him just go straight up, kill a Keeper of Secrets, stuff like that. So 
That makes perfect sense too for as far as your damage output and what the problems you were addressing with. We'll get to your matchup specifically in part two, but obviously matchup tech is part of part one. Um yeah. commandos. Do you find you know you're deploying nine, twelve inches away from your opponent's deployment zone, ideally going first, calling a log and charging right in there? What if you go second? Are you just like losing twenty-five commandos? Here's the here's the thing I actually enjoy about that is that if my, most of the time when my opponent goes first, um, I lose one to two groups of commandos. So sometimes I deploy one kind of like in like a weird spot where they out of line of sight in a corner where I could easily run at them, but they don't have a good counter to run into me, and they have to get really out of position that they want to shoot me. So I try to set up to make it awkward for them, uh, especially like player place terrain because this is that's what this tournament was. And the so I set up these nice little drop zones for them. And if my if my opponent goes first and they kill twenty commandos, the majority of the time they move toward me uh, and just set up great counter charges because it's all like mid board stuff. I'm Are like, you okay, actively cool. trying to put those commandos completely out of line of sight so they have to charge you to get rid of you instead of shoot you? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to do that as much as possible. Okay, I wasn't sure if you were valuing just being closer to the enemy than. Nah, I'm not I'm not deploying completely on the line. Outline. So I like to like you know, get some crates up there, or you know, with the like first floor no no windows. I I want people to you know make, make it as awkward as possible, make them pay for it if they want to kill my commandos. I'll take two inch. I'll take two three inches of lost movement um, because they have a six inch push advance, uh, so it's not too big a deal. Then I will versus them being seen. Yeah, I gotcha. All right, so that answers that for Zagstra. What about Storm Boys? Uh, more infantry running up there and causing them up quickly. I don't need everything to hit wave one. Uh, I I would like to spend only two hundred some points to clear their first wave chaff. The these the storm boys don't feel as good. Uh, they don't bring the plus one to wound. They don't have the extra stratagem on top of them. Um, I still like storm boys in a general sense. They just don't fit in this list. That's really interesting because when you think about golf orcs, you think just maximum pressure upon your opponent. But yours is almost like a sustained, calculated pressure over the course of the game, rather than here's two thousand points in your face. Deal with me right now. Yeah. Overextending is an issue. I think a lot of uh, um, mid-tier to low-tier orc, orc players made uh, is they'll just super overextend into, into their opponent's uh, shooting uh, shooting output or, or melee output, and they're, they'll just start losing on trades um, because they're off. I don't offer up enough to be traded into essentially. So I've once seen they, that mistake made by orc players all the time. Um, overextending when it's, it's almost like they were redundantly killing screens rather than pacing their damage out so they can hit more effective targets. How do you kind of pace yourself out? It's, you've clearly designed it into your list, but what's your mentality going into games with that? Um, so just like chess or any other board game, you have to plan out like, okay, this is going to kill this, this is going to counter this. And you have to kind of play it like checkers, except in this checker game, I usually have more pieces than my opponent does. Just volume and, of units. You know, you're yep, talking about. I, I, yeah, I have way more units than they do. And anytime they don't, they have to like double commit or triple commit something to like kill one of my units. I'm winning. And I'm always looking for those like super profitable, profitable trades. And I also am looking for the places where I need to, where I'm going to get two for one. Like if I'm fighting a bile list or anything that has a, like a fight on death mechanic or anything um, where I know I'm going to have to like sack two units to kill that unit. That's an interesting way of looking at it. So you don't have like a lot of cheap units in your army. You have, a few very expensive ones in the form of the kill rigs, battle wagon guys, and then some units that punch way above their weight class, like the commandos. So, how do you do? You, Avon, you often on number your opponent as far as quantity of units. You said, uh, as far as quantity, but my, I mean, I usually carry enough weight of attacks to deal with MSU type stuff. Like two, a ten man group of commandos, I can reliably kill two commando, two uh, harlequin boats with it, stuff like that. So I can, 
I'm looking for two for ones in that aspect. It's not always like unit counts, more uh, like attack quantity that I'm looking at or damage quantity. And when I'm kind of like piecing out these pieces, I have an average cost of 120, 150 points a unit. Because once you empty out a kill rig, there's I have my 110 point group of boys. The the uh, the mega knobs are 150. So I I kind of have to like measure how much I'm losing and basically see if it's worth it. Uh, I definitely have to play the mission a lot more than Killy sometimes. So you have to, you know, sometimes you're just like, okay, I'm going to disembark 10 boys to go drop you on a zero. I'm not going to kill anything. going to get tabled to win the game. So whatever. That's another mindset. I definitely want to talk about when you're playing orcs, especially the scoff style, you often get tabled, I imagine, and, and probably win anyway. And you're totally cool with that. Um, it only happened once at SoCal Open, thankfully. There's 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 a there's definitely like a critical point around turn two where you know what's gonna happen, around turn two, top of three maybe, um, where you know you're going to get either completely crump them and leave them with nothing, or you're you're going to get tabled. Um it's not often that it gets and the tabled games are the close games. because uh, you don't often finish a game with like with units left in those in that style of game. So either you either crump them and they get tabled and good or you're going to get tabled it's going to be close it happens enough though where it's like a thing like where orc players just kind of need to get right with maybe having no models left at the end of the game oh yeah everything dies nothing in my nothing in my list is super durable or or will usually will live like out, out the rest of the game i i i don't i don't sweat it when a unit dies so uh, this is such a mindset I, I struggle to deal with because i play armies like eldar and chaos which either don't die through durability or don't die because they just don't get hit and your orcs are like we're not tough and we're going to get hit. How do you live like that? I guess you don't live like that necessarily, but you're just throwing yourself out there to be dealt with at your opponent's convenience, basically, because you're going all out aggression. So how do you sustainably attack your opponent in that way? Um, I'm looking for, I'm always looking for the profitable trade. If I'm ever at a point where like, I'm in a weird, uh, there's like a weird move block or a lane where I know I can't get stuff in, or I'm not going to be able to do anything. Or like, I know I'm, I'm running into like 20, Scarab Terminators and like I don't my pieces that deal with that aren't present or are in the wrong part of the board. I have to chill out. I have to do nothing. Um, thankfully, with the work secondaries, you can do that. So uh, you aren't really losing out too much points. You usually have enough board control, to, like score eight on primary in that case. So are you not always calling the log turn one? Do you pace it out? There are matchups where you definitely do pace it out. Um, you kind of have to like my 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 turn one command phase is always like my longest portion of my thinking phase where I'm just like doing all my measurements, figuring out my charges. And I have to think about my, my turn one movement, figure out what will be able to charge in turn two. And if it's actually going to get anything juicy or if I'm just eating screens. So I kind of like sit there for a good couple of minutes, uh, my turn one command phase, deciding if that's actually going to happen. And there are times against say, like I'm going to a towel with Sunshark bombers or something like that. Um, where even if I can't get into anything worthwhile, I'm still going to call it just because I'm going to lose 33% less of my army. Just for the five of Envil. So cross midfield with. Yep, that's pretty yep. good. And Sunshark Bombers, kind of like the, uh, well, we talk about that in the next episode. But it's like a, they're super threats. Like they kill most of your army by themselves if you don't yeah, do they're that. Stupid. <laughs> well, that's actually another thing we should bring up now. Is in general, you don't have much of an answer to planes. Uh, you don't have much firepower. You don't have your Waz bombs or Storm Boys or Zag Truck. How do you deal with those kinds of threats? I specifically for this tournament chose to be bad. In. I was a, uh, I had Z- I had Zag Truck in there and I was doing the my. My point moving around, I was like, okay, who am I, who as a pilot of Tau am I worried about going to this tournament? I was looking at the rock and I was like, okay, 
Um, I don't think there's going to be anybody playing that. I really like if Ogden was coming out, obviously have to like make a plan for him, but um, so you're competing at a level where you're making specific plans for, for high level Tau players. And you kind of looked at the roster that you expected to be in attendance. Didn't expect there to be a Tau player of the caliber that you felt needed to tech for your army. And then you made that call and evidently yep. didn't get hit by a good Tau player or a great Tau right. player. I should say. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So th- that's a tough call to make when you're going into a tournament. I don't know that I'd feel comfortable making that. What's that journey for you like? Uh, so I I always have to look at like you know the path to victory. Like who's who are the people likely to win this, and what are they what what are they what are they sporting? And you can usually pick that up from like, previous tournaments or just knowing people. And I knew like no matter what, Nids was going to be difficult. And I chose to make all my matchups except Nids better. And I cut Zegstruck because Zegstruck is like my only real answer to the harpies. Uh, I was like, all right, we're just gonna be, we're just gonna make my Niz matchup worse because that's already bad anyway, and chose to shore up literally everything else. And then we dodged Niz for the entire tournament. I love it. The work story yeah. of success. <laughs> we just believed in it. We believed. That's awesome. I'm sure there's a bit more to the belief than just that. Uh, unpacking your list a bit more. You've got three by three squig hog riders, and you mentioned also the the bomb squigs in your commandos were critical and I noticed your squig hog riders also have some bob squigs. So talk to me about these squig hog riders in this bomb squig deck. So for five points, the bomb squig is probably the most broken war gear in orcs, if not the game. Um, the they, game. Uh, That's a bold statement. Last time we had someone make a game-wide comment like that, I believe they said Carnifexes were the best data sheet in the game. Yeah, they, they, are, they are absolutely stupid. Uh, so in your shooting phase, um, it's an ability, not a shooting attack. On a three-up, you can chuck it into anything, no line of sight, no lookout, sir, and do D3 mortals. Um, on a two-up against vehicles. So you can set up particular situations where you're sniping characters on turn one even, uh, popping Harlequin boats on turn one, a whole bunch of other nonsense, and it kind of like fuels that collapse that you're looking for um, when you're playing a two-up on it. So like you run that, that stupid like one-up save Disco Lord, that guy just dies. He just disintegrates under like five bombs quick. So uh, you, you you have really, you have, it makes a lot of matchups a lot easier. And in places where you don't get like ideal placement of your bomb squigs, it's, it still just deals out mortals. Um, they do fail sometimes, obviously. They, you still need that three up for them to go off. But you can set up like a little like splash damage onto a character with squiggly curves. And then chuck two bomb squigs at that guy. Uh, absolutely. Oh, they're so, so sneaky. So as long as your as long as your unit is you know able to shoot, you can do it. So you can do it you know with your guys with pistols in combat. You can do it when you advance. You, yeah, they're 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 very powerful. And like the bomb the bomb squeak riders themselves move ten plus their advance. And they have the twelve inch uh, range on that. So you can reach out to anything you want. Or if someone pushes like a big you know a big vehicle down the middle, like let's say a Hecaton Land Fortress, didn't happen this weekend, but in theory, um, you can just chuck a bunch of mortals into it. I've done a bunch of mortals in Silent Kings. Bunch of our cool stuff. Like all orc weaponry, reliability is not its strong suit. Threes are pretty good, but as Paul, as Paul and I say, threes are also the least trustworthy number in 40k. Do you find you yeah. just make plans based on these bomb squigs, like maybe Abaddon killing or Discolord killing, like you said, and it just doesn't convert? Um, I have I go by the averages, so I'm like, okay, I need to throw three bomb squigs in this to reliably get four mortals, and I kind of hope that happens. I don't. That's always that's always the best laid plans because it could definitely be zero. If I'm going into a vehicle, it does proc on a two-up. So I almost those are almost guaranteed as long as I'm throwing like three on it. You know, at least three into them. But there's ones where I'm like, okay, I really need to set for five. 
Or if I don't throw them, I hold on to them. I kind of see what happens and see what's left with like one or two wounds and throw that later. So you don't always need to chuck them all turn one. But if you have a good feeling that that unit's not going to be around next turn, you chuck it right away. That makes sense. And then in general, Squid Hog Riders are a unit we always see our players take uh, kind of like not maximum size squads, anywhere between the three and five range and maybe like one to two units. You've gone for three by three. What's your flavoring for this? Uh, the flavoring there is the fact that they are point to attack, to quality, probably one of the best units in the game, but they really suffer uh, in kind of like tripping over each other as far as size of their base and such. They suffer not being able to go through walls, and like they could, my, the rest of my army can kind of trip over them, so I needed smaller units. Um, they also have a leadership six, uh, which is problematic, so I, I run the groups of three because of that. That's a great answer Just, as well. just so if, if they take some damage, they're basically dead, or you, or you get use out of them, so you don't have to worry about the morale. Is that, is that it? Yeah, I don't have to worry about the morale as much, and the three is enough to kill a baby knight. Like you can chuck three of them will kill a uh, even with, with the minus one damage. Uh, not with minus one damage, um, but three three of them will. You know, if I if I'm attacking all over the board, I get three and two. Uh, you know, one of the small knights that my opponent has, um, it it definitely will kill one of those. I gotcha. So moving through your list, uh, one thing I noticed is these mega knobs are not truck boys or anything. They're just like goth mega knobs riding around in a battle wagon and double kill rig. I love having that more armor element. Battle wagon, two kill rigs, gas cold. That is a lot of beef. That's more beef than most armies can realistically muster with all the threats you bring on them. So I, I can totally see how that works. But you're missing that speed from truck boys. And I'm wondering if you missed it at all or what the thought process is behind that. So I ran truck boys for the majority of the year. And the thought process was the same point investment that goes in the truck boys. I can put in two commandos as wave one because it used to just be like, truck boys and a war boss. Then Methlum came along and it became harder to run multiple war bosses because of the new detachment rules um, and losing CP and such. So I changed it to be like, okay, I'm going to, with the, where the meta's at right now, I think commandos are a better uh, turn one uh, charge solution anyway. So I'm going to run that and then I'm not going to make the, the mega nups um, dependent on a character being next to them to buff them. But now they kind of are with Gaz because Gaz is usually around when they're around. So they get full rerolls versus truck boys wouldn't get those rerolls either. Okay, yeah, I, I can totally see that. The orcs, the, I guess because you have those commandos pushing that front line, you don't need a turn one wave of mega knobs because your screen killers aren't right up there anyway, and mega knobs being screen killers don't, it's a bit of a waste of their potential. Do you ever find that your commandos run into a screen that's too difficult for them and you kind of wish you had those mega knobs that first turn screen punching? There are, there are definitely matchups like my, my Thousand Cents matchup and such where my commandos kind of fall a bit flat and I need, I, I need to play them more, more conservatively and I play a more defensive style of game um, in that type of matchup. Okay, we'll definitely cover those matchups in part two. Yeah, I want to know more about these, uh, like, kill rigs and battle wagon. I mean, that is, those are clunky models. Like, I think they're very capable models. And, you know, especially, like, the kill rig that can compete in every single phase of the game. But, you know, might not be easy to maneuver around the table. Yeah, they're, a lot of this game, a lot of what I have here is considered concerned about my footprint. One of the reasons I bring commandos is it's not it's footprint that's not my deployment zone outside of abandoned sanctuaries. And that mission kind of sucks for me because of that. <laughs> um, so I uh, there's there's two lanes um, that the the kill rigs get to fit, and the battle wagon for the most part sits in back. And that that little missile I have of mega knobs um, is set up as a counter charge unit. It's usually going to counter a big melee threat they push into me that killed something, or they're set up for like if my opponent pushes a bunch of sanguinary guard at me. They're going to set up to counter that, and they hang out in the wagon until they're needed to basically be like my linebacker. Um, they're not the like frontline 
Alpha Force. They are they are set up as a an answer to a question that hasn't been asked yet. So they kind of just drive around in midfield up until your opponent kind of clears through the commandos and gets their hands done with the mega knobs, and then all of a sudden here's some killers and guys, and also you're out of stuff. Yep, exactly. Do you find that they're kind of waiting around being shot at since they're so big and clunky, or is their durability good enough to survive that kind of firepower in most matchups? So when you're with the, the thing about a pressure list is that you have so much crap in their face, they don't usually get the opportunity to shoot the stuff in your back line, especially if you went first. So they often live up until they make combat. Um, and I lose kill rigs in uh, combat more often than I do in shooting, to be honest with you. Interesting. I would not have guessed that just because, of, you know, it doesn't really have an vulnerable save and it's not that tough by today's standards. Yeah, the, the ramshackle comes into play quite a bit because um, like Repentia can't kill them easily. Uh, shuriken cannons don't do anything. So the 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 uh, the ramshackle on all three of those units comes into play quite often. And not to mention like the mortals they spit out in their psychic phase and everything else that they do just kind of like send their support is great. And then they carry, of course, their transports to carry obsec units, so they have a bunch of bees in them if you do kill. That's one of the parts I find most annoying about killer eggs is they're full of orcs that are also going to kill me. So uh, one of the last questions I have as far as what's in your army is there's not many of the snobs on Smash Squigs or any of the really badass combat characters that you might see typically in orc armies. You've gone for the war boss on bike, which you've explained a bit as an MVP. Uh, but did you miss having other characters at all? I did, well, we missed the aforementioned Zegstruck, but I, I just can't find 110 points uh, for him. So at 110 points, like I said, I, I kind of have... I'm as condensed as I can get because I don't want to cut full units for characters at this point. Your army doesn't have much fat going on when you look at it. Yeah, so I ran into like certain anti-armor lists. That, like I ran into you know Railgun Tau, and I was like, oh, that's that's a, that's a problematic matchup for this list. <laughs> so um, I definitely hit hit the wall against that. I don't want to lean any more into that. I kind of need to keep my where my units where I'm at. And I'm really happy with how the how the list is currently set up that's nice and again it, it played off really well for you i don't know if we mentioned this but how many command points do you start with uh three that's a lot by today's standards also well you yeah. know how does that factor into what you want to, what you feel like you're going to use round one round two of the game so the the problem with orc the orc codex the weakness of the orc codex is our strategies are all expensive uh so if you plan on using them all of them cost double what other books cost so if i'm going to be spending anything it's going to be two um if I'm going second, it's obviously going to be uh, an interrupt. I'm going to do for two, or if I'm going first, I need to, and I'm or I'm hitting like a juicy target. Um, I might be popping exploding fives or like flat three damage on the, on the mega. Those are all two cost stratagems, and sometimes I need to use both. Like if I'm going into a giant super buff brick of something, um, if I'm going to be doing exploding fives, flat three damage. Um, so I need a, a full four CP to be able to do that. Very nice. Uh, what is your, uh, I guess, you know, it's three and then of course you'll get some or whatever. Did you ever find yourself, you know, feeling like you needed more or is that just the perfect amount? I'm at the perfect amount point. I definitely have the ability to like add another warlord trait to something and go down uh, or pick up a patrol and, you know, mess around more with with like with characters and such. But I, I was really happy. I'm really happy at the sweet spot of three because I'm able to like pop a 2CP aggressive stratagem, like say I get a kill rig down the field and I can do 3D6 charge or something like that. It's always nice to be able to have that extra bit of CP. And there's even one game where I felt like I just had too much. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not even using it. There are other games where it turns into a super struggle and I need every bit of force multiplication I can get. Uh, we are approaching that point in the show, Brutal and Cunning. 
stop flirting around. That, the bush that's with it. it. So th- we do have a uh, yeah. That that's kind of where I was going. I was uh, stealthing it in there. Is you it, were trying to be kind uh, but brutal. I was, you know, because we we actually asked, you know, generals like, is there a special stratagem that you do that you always keep a couple of CP in your back pocket? This is the brutal but cunning segment, or the kind of brutal, or even a slew of uh, strats if it's a, a nice little combo. Uh, yeah, you build your, you just, you know, you want to save, uh, kind of, you know, push you over the edge. Are you what are you looking I, for? Are you asking my my top stratagem or like my secret stratagem? Uh, both, actually. Um, so top stratagem that you're probably going to see every game is exploding fives. It's going to get popped on something. Usually, something that absolutely needs to die or has some sort of defensive multiplier on it. If it pushes things over the edge, you're going to have a hundred percent hit rate. If you have Gazri rolls, it turns into like a hundred and thirty percent hit rate. It's silly. So. It, that you definitely are going to see that probably pop off every game. Uh, the secret strat um, is the uh, the ground shaker shells that come off the kill rig. Really? Uh, it was not dropping, what I thought you were going to say. Well, how do these even yeah. work? Uh, so it, it only works on that weapon. It got FAQ'd. It used to work whenever the kill rig hit you, but only works off that weapon. Um, and as long as that cannon hits you, uh, you get half move, minus two to your advance, and minus two to your charge. So explain to me, I guess, what you're using to apply that effect on because i you know it sounds awesome but it sounds awesome in like a tau army that's trying to keep you at arm's length while they shoot you as an orc army you're running straight into the, your opponent and then you're like also slow down so if i need to uh slow down say let's say i'm playing in the orc mirror and there's a group of megan ups out or i'm playing to a big group of terminators anything that can like basically jam me up and stop me from doing my thing and it's going to trade at a two for one or three for one level for me i'm going to tell that thing to sit and it's going to sit um or if my opponent, if I know that they have to advance to get on an objective, um, I'm gonna be like, "Cool, that thing's not gonna be scoring you any mission points next turn." So there's there's a lot of like neat little tricks you can do with that. Uh, so I want definitely want to call that strategy out. Um, another one that like catches people by surprise all the time is the tank buster bombs that the commandos carry. Um, so you can with, with one melee hit do do two d three mortal wounds to a vehicle. Interesting. I didn't think about it either. You have tank busters in this arm. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, they, they carry tank buster mines. They got the keyword. Just so more, much more in this bomb so. works. Is that the idea? <laughs> uh, just trying to do as many immortal wounds as I can. Yeah, right. I can't argue with that. So now let's talk about you know, your secondary choices. Because, you know, look, we talked about, about you know what goes in here and how to mix it up with units, but you got to score points. Like, how do you actually win this game? So all the orc secondaries are good. Um, I mentioned biggest and bestest earlier. I don't take that one as much anymore because I don't like my opponent being able to interact with my objectives. Uh, so if they are able to kill Gaz right away, that's a huge point loss and I'm not going to take it. Uh, so with Gaz, I don't take the biggest and the best anymore, but uh, get the good bits, um, which is their shadow operation one, is ridiculously good. That thing is, in a lot of missions, uh, near auto 15. It's with three, three groups of Gretchen and some four de- and some core stuff that moves really quick. I'm able to you know pop it off nearly every turn uh, and score 15 sometimes at the uh, end of turn three even. So it's that that that's that one's silly. That's an auto take in every mission except uh, the abandoned sanctuaries mission where all the objectives are like in the middle uh, and you won't be able to get on too easily. Um, Stomp them good is anything that doesn't combat you well or you know is only going to like kill one thing in combat. You're going to take it. It's it's a it's a it's a kill more that pops the four points as long as you're killing double and that's frankly very easy to do, uh, especially at the style list and you. You're going to score four on it pretty often, at least three turns. So you're going to get 12 points, if not 15, uh, relatively easy. And then your third one's kind of a toss-up. 
the list is built to do the psychic secondaries, uh, so you kind of question that. But you also that's when you look at your opponent's list. Uh, the list is exceedingly good at running in and killing characters, uh, so I like to take assassinate if they're able to give it up. But like no prisoners, all the other like book stuff is uh, is usually where your third one goes. Do you find that your orc games finish pretty high scoring with your army, or do you just have more points than your opponent? And it's a pretty brutal slugfest by the end of it. Uh, they, I score the, this list scores relatively high. It's uh, it's it's rare to have games that you're that you win that you're not scoring ninety plus. Really? Okay. I imagine this would be a lot more grindy, where you kind of just kill each other and wreck each other's scores throughout the course of the game, rather than you're just scoring super high. Is that by virtue of like typically destroying your opponent and then also having good secondaries and by nature of your army, you're dominating primary? Or is there is it high scoring regardless of if you kill your opponent? It's high scoring regardless of whether you kill your opponent because you're usually doing something with the objectives. Uh, so like, like even in my losses um, that I've had with this list uh, in like practice games and other tournaments, I've scored like 86, 87. Um, the, you need to score high, unfortunately, because your opponent's going to take assassinate and no prisoners. And when they table you, uh, they just get a free 30 points. That's interesting. So you, you're giving up so many points and you're like, I don't care. I have more offense. So, Ben, I got one more question before we move on to part two and continue this discussion. If I was an aspiring orc player looking to get better, what would be your piece of advice that you can give to them? I would say think about your charges and know your math. The biggest mistake I see fledgling orcs make is they charge into things they have no business charging into. You need to, you need to know your math. You need to know how that trade is going to play out and if you can do that trade. You know, just running at your opponent doesn't always work. It does in a lot of matchups, but does not always work. And the biggest mistake you can make is just charging stuff. You have no business charging. Sounds like an orc wise orc advice from an experienced orc general. Well, let me, let me uh, delve into that. Just one second. Is that is your uh, criteria for business charging being something you can take out in one round? Um, yes. And no, uh, ideally you want to be able to kill it, but you're looking to accomplish a particular mission. Um, if you, if your goal is to stop saying from shooting, um, and you can pile into something, you're go make that charge, whether your unit's going to die or not. Uh, so there's there's multiple things you're looking to accomplish here. Uh, if it steals an objective, you do the charge. If you do um, particular like actions or stop your opponent's secondary scoring, you do it. So I will I'll sacrifice you know 300 points to you know, stop my stop my opponent put my opponent at zero anytime. Yeah, there we so go. It's, like it's all about accomplishing the specific task you have within that that scenario you find yourself in. Yeah, think about the mission, not about the kill. Definitely uh, cunning rather than brutal orc strategy for a goth player. Uh, to, to, to phrase it in orc speech, sometimes you got to be cunning. Can't always be brutal. I like it. Well, Ben, thanks for walking us through this part of your list and the stratagems and the secondaries. You know, We're going to talk a little bit more of those, how it all weaves together about the matchups and, again, how, how you tackled some of these uh, tough games that I know you had over the past weekend uh, and also maybe about some things that the, the generals could have done better against you. You know, what's what some factions could have employed to have beaten you and just maybe didn't, didn't see at the time, didn't understand some of the vulnerabilities of the list. We're going to run on it, run through that in part two. Everyone that's just uh, joining us for this part. Thank you very much. Please leave us five-star reviews, like, share, and subscribe. If you haven't already, that is the way that other people can interact with the show and help, you know, other people find us and stuff. That way we get more people hanging out uh, in both parts, and it's awesome. Everybody else hang tight. Nick, Ben, I'll see you in a second. Bye. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. 
theartofwar40k.com. <laughs>